Welcome to episode six of the Keg Talk series, brought to you by Heineken, where we talk with independent experts who offer their advice and expertise on the current issues facing the hospitality industry. We'll also be taking questions from you via the Pub Collective, and we'll be getting through as many of those as we can. Today, we're talking to Kevin Robertson, Health, Safety and Operational Compliance Manager at Star Pubs and Bars and Rob Easton, Head of Consultancy at Shield Safety. With health and safety procedures more important now than ever before, we'll be asking our speakers how to keep risk assessments current and effective, managing track and trace, and how to deal with difficult health and safety conversations with customers. So welcome, Kevin. Welcome, Rob. Um, if I could come to you first, Kevin, just to give us a, a brief explanation of your background and experience in this sector. Yeah, hi, John. So my name is Kevin Robertson. I'm the Health and Safety and Operational Compliance Manager for Star Pubs and Bars. Um, I primarily look after the Just Add Talent Manage model, but certainly in the current climate, I've been more involved in the lease and tenancy side as well. Um, I've been with Star Pubs nearly three years now. And previous to that, I've worked in finance, uh, retail with Morrison's for eight years, and I started with a family-run business in uh, Newmarket doing the haulage. And so I've been in health and safety for 17 years in Charleston. Excellent. Thanks, Kevin. Rob, could I come to you? Same thing, just a bit about your background? Yeah, of course, John. So hello, uh, my name's Rob Easton. I'm Head of Consultancy at Shield Safety Group, uh, one of the leading consultancies helping the hospitality industry with health safety and fire safety. My background is uh, I'm an environmental health practitioner, which means my degree is in environmental health. Uh, and uh, during my career, I've worked uh, in the UK and abroad in the Middle East, uh, supporting businesses and also for local governments. I've been an enforcement officer. Also during that time, uh, I've operated uh, in the pub hospitality trade uh, as a, a lead in health and safety and food safety, but also as an operator. So as a regional manager for seven years. Uh, and I think that's really important because when I talk about safety now, I talk with that background in operations. So uh, hopefully any solution we give is, is legally correct, but also it's, uh, it recognises the trials and tribulations of the, of the pub trade. That's great. Thanks very much, Rob. Um, so talk, Rob mentioned there legally correct, Kevin, if I could come to you first, just for a, a sort of a discussion on risk assessments. Um, yeah, of I course. Guess the starting point is what are our legal obligations around those? Well, first off, we, we, we're, we're legally required to do them under, let's get the boring stuff out of the way, under legislation. So the Health and Safety of Work Act and the management of work regs is really important that we, we do risk assessments. Um, to be clear as well, in this, in this COVID world that we're in, I think a lot of industries have forgotten their, their, their normal business and their normal route to business. And we shouldn't forget that. So it's really important that you have risk assessments for all your policies, all your procedures, and think about the whole pub as a, as a business. Um, so forget the legal stance, yes, we have to do it, um, but we also do it because it's good business. If you get your risk assessments right, that leads into a number of things that allows you to get your training right, to get your procedures right, to get, and then to get your customer uh, feedback right, and then and from that, you get a great retail journey. So it all starts with risk assessment. And is there anything, you mentioned COVID-19, is there anything specific we should be doing differently as a result of the sort of current situation? Uh, the, government, the government has brought in by law a uh, COVID-19 
um, law. So we, so each business must have a COVID-19 secure risk assessment in place. But the three fundamentals of that is, is if you think of the three, three basics, hand washing, social distancing, and um, enhanced hygiene. And they're the three key factors that you need to consider when you're doing your risk assessment. Yeah, just to pick up on a point there as well, um, the slightly different thing with the risk assessment now is that um, recommendation to publish the findings of your risk assessment. So we know mm. if you've got more than five uh, full-time equivalent employees, you should be documenting it. They're saying actually now that you should be sharing your contents of your risk assessment if over 50 employees. So again, slightly different and it, it shouldn't be a problem. And uh, there's been lots of questions about, um, uh, is this a concern for my business? Is there intellectual property in there? Please no, it's just telling your guests how you're going to look after them. That's great. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, and on that note, and then communicating or publishing, um, Kevin, with regards to our staff, is there anything we should be doing around that in terms of risk assessments, health and safety and all those sorts of things? Because they're going to be anxious too. Exactly. There's a lot of anxiety out there, isn't there? And it's um, and, and I would involve, involve your staff in doing the risk assessments. So even though um, I'm a safety professional, if I go into, say, you're a pub, John, and I went into your pub, I would involve you and your staff. Because who are the experts at running that pub? And who's going to enforce that risk assessment? You and your staff. So if you involve them and get their ideas and their buy-in to it as well, you're also then empowering them to actually enforce the policy as well because yeah. they've actually come up with the ideas and thought about it. So, And secondly, going back to legalities, it's a legal requirement to share your risk assessment with your staff. So the other message I'll say about risk assessments is that we don't have to complicate them. The more simply you make them, the better, because then people can understand them and, more, and they're more likely to follow them as well. Um, and we shouldn't be scared of doing a risk assessment. It's a very simple process. Rob, anything to add to all those points? Yeah, I, I think um, Kevin and I work closely together and I know a saying we often say, you know, keeping safety simple mm. and doing as much as is needed, not as much as is possible. You know, we can, we can write pages and pages and pages of, of risk assessments and policies. Does it make it any safer? Probably not. Um, but what is needed in that situation? Do what's needed, not what's possible. Mm. Um, and, and I know health and safety does have this reputation of being bureaucratic, and that will probably be out of fear of, I've just got to keep on adding more information. No, you don't. Do what's needed in that situation to make it safe, to make a difference. And does the same apply, Kevin, with regards to reviewing of risk assessments? I mean, is the best practice, I mean, I guess you can overdo that too, can't you? You can do. Um, I mean, I mean, the, 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 the process should be you should at least review your risk assessments annually and just have a look at them. But that doesn't mean you have to redo them. It's about just looking at them. Does this still apply to my business? Because the business may have evolved over a year. Your risk assessment on a, on a takeaway system, for example, might be takeaways. And then you haven't, you, you're not, you've evolved that process in a year and it's completely different now. Um, so you have to update them and renew them. Certainly after an accident or an incident, I would review them as well. Um, and even a near miss, you know, customers in near miss, I would just check your risk assessment, make sure it's doing what it says on the tin, basically. Great. Okay, uh, we're going to move on to a sort of COVID-19 specific health and safety measures um, and just start, uh, Kevin, again, just mm. like an overview of the current regs, bearing in mind these could change, but where we where we are at the moment yeah again i'll, I'll, I'll harp on about the three things it's hand is the, the three things that they'll look at as hand washing social distancing 
um, and enhanced cleaning for the, for the pub industry. Um, so how are we keeping customers safe? So again, to be very clear, the two meter rule, and this is interpretation, the two meter rule hasn't gone. That social distancing of two meters is still there. So an EHO, this one meter plus, an EHO would expect to see what mitigating factors have you put in place to allow you to come down to one meter plus. And, that, and mitigation could be perspex at the till, could be an app like Swifty, which we can easily implement into a pub so that you don't even have to move from your table to get, to get your food and drink. Um, it could be enhanced cleaning, one-way systems, clear marking zones, et cetera, et cetera. And are the things, because as well as actually having the things in place, I, is there an element too of reassuring staff and customers that we do, how do we communicate that we're doing what we should be doing? Definitely. I mean, through, through the pub collective, there's various uh, advice on there. POS is a great tool. So again, when the customer is setting that expectation, so when the customer comes into the pub, they know exactly what to do and then they're met by someone and they understand what, what the rules are. But it's about the customer knows exactly what to do when they come into that pub. Right, that's my table. How do I order? Right, I order through Swiftly app or I go one person to the bar. Where do I order? Right, Perspex Till. Um, and again, that theatre that theater a little bit of um, showing customers how we wash our hands in between each serve, where the hand sanitizer stations are, that kind of stuff. Social media is a great platform as well to advertise how we're doing and what we're doing to make you safe. And you've seen a lot of pubs advertise on Facebook and Twitter saying, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Come back to our pub, etc. And I also think once people get to a point that they're happy and they're, they're full, and certainly in Heineken, we've had pubs that have just said, look, our tables are full now. We're not going to take anyone else in because we can't cope with it. And we shouldn't be afraid to do that, in my view, because that's managing the risk sensibly. And the other thing just to think about as well, when your garden's full, is to think about the, the good old British weather as well. Um, so how, how you, if your garden's full and your inside of the pub's full, what, what are you going to do when it rains? So again, it's thinking about that scenario because we obviously can't have people piling in the pub. Uh, if I may, I'll just pick up on a point there, which is uh, with um, the Shield Safety, we've been supporting um, just our talent. We've been supporting Heineken with uh, reopening the, that side of the business. And right from the beginning, what we talked about uh, was that guest journey. Mm. And it's actually seeing that, that the safety and guest experience, you have to work it together because you will fail if you say, OK, this, this is what we're doing for safety, but completely... Um, neglect identifying what the guests will do how they're moving through the business and actually how do you weave safety into what is still hospitality because what we've done is we made if done badly we've made um, hospitality inhospitable so it, it's really important that you look at the guest journey what's their experience and then how do you communicate that to them beforehand and then during the, the visit and, and as operators you're familiar with guest journeys it's language we use but just remap that guest journey now with safety woven through it. Don't, if you look at them as two separate things, then, then you'll fail. You'll fail to deliver it safely or you'll give a really bad guest experience. Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, one key thing in Heineken that we've picked up on is that front of house person is really key to communicating what is expected of that customer journey. You can't have a young, timid, 18 year old person there who's not gonna be confident. 
it's got to be the operator, landlady, landlord, um, or someone confident in customer service skills. And that's where that key skill is, is massively important. Mm. And we are going to, we're going to look specifically at those managing difficult conversations, but yeah, that's really, really key point, I guess, is the person mm. having those conversations. The person doing it has got to be trained, competent and understand, yeah. understand the rules as well. Yeah. Um, and Kevin, Rob mentioned there the, the fact that you are the hospitality industry and obviously mm. a key part of that is the food and drink. Is there anything specific that we either should be doing or communicating to customers that we're doing because we're serving food and drink above and beyond sort of what you've touched on so far? I think it's very much, again, it's that we've done a specific service style risk assessment. So we've thought about how are we going to serve the customers? So once they're sat down, if they're getting just drinks, we've got a clear drinks procedure so the customer can take the drink away. It, depends, it all depends how they order it, to be honest. But if they order on Swifty, obviously it's all brought to them. And again, it's about laying the tables out. You've got to think, so your tables are apart. You've then got to think about how are you going to deliver that food into that, those four people? Are you going to lean over them? Or are you going to come to the sides and still keep your social distance away from them? And it's you're just quite simply put the plates on the end. I think it's reasonable to expect the customer to then take the plates and serve them out themselves. Things like cutlery and stuff, we don't leave on the table. Uh, disposable menus we now have. Um, and again, communication with disposable menus. We've put all the pro all the promotions like Swifty and hand sanitizers and what we've done to keep you safe on the back of the disposable menus. That's another way of doing it. Mm. Um, and again, it's just it's just that hand hygiene. So the the member of staff washes their hands before they start serving that customer. They've served those four customers their plates, then they wash their hands again. It's that little bit of theatre, but it shows the confidence that we're doing things properly. Mm. And again, when when people leave that table, you, you, you wash that table down, sanitize it properly. So other people in the pub see that as well. And again, it's that visual uh, show that you're giving an effect to show that you, what you're doing and how you're doing it. Great. It's really interesting picking up on that point, Kev. Uh, some independent research we commissioned was consumers' expectations on, on eating out again. Yeah, what do they expect from the industry? What do they expect to happen? And it, it was about 89%, I believe, that said they expect businesses to, to perform above and beyond, because that was a phrase you used, Kev, there, that, and that's yeah. why I picked up on it, is yes, there's the basic legal requirement, but if you want me to visit your, your business, I, I want to see actions that are above and beyond, uh, and I want you to tell me beforehand, and, and even better, have them independently verified. So it's mm. that scheme that says, yes, as a business, we're committing to this high high level of, of COVID-secure controls, and here is our independent verification. And again, we know from the research that we've undertaken, consumers are looking for that. They're looking for that independence to say, yes, this, this business has committed to a high level of uh, uh, COVID control and uh, continue to be committed to it as well. Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it, I guess? If I also think it reflects in the, just in, in the sales as well. Just, just from, from a Heineken perspective, we're in, a, in the, just our talent model, we're, we're trading very well. When, when managed houses are generally down about 20, 30% like for like sales, if you've got good procedures, you will see that in your sale, sales performance. It all links into one. And I'll, ask, I'll, probably, I'll go to Rob with this as well, but just for you to stick with you for a minute, Kevin, is on, the, on that procedures thing and also 
that we're asking so much of our staff. Is there anything else we should be doing now that we, we maybe weren't doing before in terms of training staff and reviewing procedures? It, does it need to be more intense or, I mean, are you seeing different demands from staff in terms of training them to do all this more complicated? I think, I, I, I think for training wise, you have to have, all staff have to have a COVID-19 training package. And again, that doesn't have to be complicated depending on the setup of the business. I mean, we've gone to an, through an online platform in, in Heineken, but it could be a simple toolbox talk. This is COVID, this is what we're doing about it. Um, and I think, but I think in general, from our perspective, it's highlighted how important training is in general. So we've actually refocused all our training again and a line in the sand, if you like. And, you, and this is a fresh start because when the pub shut in Mar end of March, you had a great opportunity to actually do all your retraining as well. Um, so, so we did that process as well. Um, so I don't think it's intense. I don't want to rob things, but I, don't, but I, I think the COVID-19 training is fairly simplistic. I think there's probably two points I'll pick up on. And it's interesting, we're talking about team now. And mm. uh, again, when we uh, developed Safe to Trade scheme, we were saying we want to reassure you know, guests that it's, okay, it's great to return to the pub and to the restaurant. But more importantly, it was about reassuring team because we know the value chain in, in a business. You know, you have to have team that are engaged and trained to attract customers, then to, to repeat trade and then profits. And what we're saying is actually start with your team. Tell them that it's safe for them to come back to the workplace. And how do you do that? You do that through sharing the risk assessments. You do that through team training. The other thing to think about team is maybe before we'd have said, actually, this training, it's, it's within their capabilities. You know, it's, we do a lot of training. But remember, they've just come off furlough, and we talk about rustiness. Are they business ready? Um, are they in a position where they can be thinking about um, extra things at work because of the demands at home? So it's, it's really important to remember as team are, are returning to the workplace, their capabilities, their capacity, um, their, their skills in the kitchen, it's going to be rusty. So mm. any risk assessment you're doing, anything you're, you're talking to them, recognise they may be at 60, 70, 80% of their capabilities before. Um, and you've got to get them um, match fit, I think, you know, would be a, a sporting analogy. And that takes time. Yeah. And as well, Rob, as well as the match fitness and as well as the, like, the well-being side of it, obviously there's a, there's a COVID side to our staff as well in terms of what do we need to do in terms of uh, staffing to make sure our staff are protected and how do we enforce social distancing with our staff? I think, uh, well, I know, but bubbles are really important. This is some of the feedback we're working with agencies at the moment that are, are doing investigations and they're looking at um, all sorts of workplaces. And we've seen this in the press where there's outbreaks, you know, shutting of factories. And they're saying, if only this business had observed the working in bubbles by having strict teams, yeah. then actually when it comes to the action that needs to be taken into that business, it's not as catastrophic. So if you've got workers, you know, uh, mixing, one of the big areas we're being told is it's actually around the communal areas. It's the rest breaks. So we're doing great front of house. But when they're going for a cigarette around the back um, by the bins, guess what? They're all mingling. And, and what we're being told is, and this is, as I say, this is by government agencies, just encourage businesses to work in the bubbles, maintain that social distance away from the front of house. Um, because first of all, you'll, you'll reduce the, the risk of spreading COVID, but also you'll reduce the impact on your business. So if there is testing, if there is isolation, you're not wiping out your whole team in one go. So I think that that bubbles and back a house um, 
we cannot reiterate that enough because we're, we're seeing the impact of not doing that. So, Kevin, could I just come to you on some sort of specific COVID-19 uh, issues with regards mm -hmm. to the reviewing of our COVID-19 measures? How often should we be doing that? What do we need to be thinking about? So, again, it's, it's a bit of an open-ended question, John, to be honest. So, you, you have your overarching risk assessments. And then as um, and what we've done in Heineken, basically, we've got one overarching risk assessment and then nine or ten from underneath that feed into it. But as the restrictions lift, then things like pool might start up again. Things like outside entertainment might start up again. So you need to ha have those risk assessments for those things. So you'll be building a pack all the way through. And it's the same with the Northwest that we've seen that restrictions um, lock down, etc. Um, so only only today, for example, I've amended the risk assessment for the six Northwest pubs. Um, so. To answer your question of how can we do it, it's ongoing, unfortunately. Unlike your standard risk assessments, you can say a year, but for COVID, I would say weekly, just keep checking them. Keep checking the th what theory is working in practice and don't be afraid to amend them and change them again. And one area we get lots of sort of questions around is the sort of the specifics within a lot of pubs where kitchens are small, areas behind bars can be small, um, what specific things should we be thinking about to deal with those issues to avoid? So the first thing you need to do is really think, really think about your social distancing. That should be your priority. So if you've got a small kitchen, can you reduce your menu, for example, into um, uh, a menu that is one person can manage in the kitchen? Um, think about your service times. Do you have to have someone in the kitchen? 12 till 9. Can you do 12 till 2? or six or, six or um, eight, whatever. Um, it's down to you as a business to decide. If it comes to a point you have to have two people in there, then again, that's where your staff bubbles really come into it. And again, think about what they're doing and maybe things like even face masks, face visors might then become part of your risk assessment. But again, don't just use face visors or face masks because you feel you should do. It should be part of the risk assessment and born out of that. Um, and same with the bar area. So again, try and double up with the bars. What we try to do is is try and double up as much as you can. Not always possible. So if you've got two people behind the bar, again, really try to minimise that as much as possible. So you're limiting that contact time. So can that you know in that busy period for, for 10, 15 minutes, you might have two people, but then you get one person out straight away. So you're limiting that contact time. I don't know if Rob wants to add anything to that. No, it's a really great point that you make there, Kev, about um, reviewing your offer, looking at your menu. Mm. But we know with safety, when it goes wrong, is when um, the resources and capabilities of an organisation fail to match their aspirations. So what, you, what you've got to do is, is we're advising businesses, recognise that your guest experience, your offer, is likely to change. And that, that offer has to reflect how many people you can have in the kitchen, access mm. to equipment. Uh, and we know where it'll go wrong is where a business says, well, we'll just continue doing what, what we did previously. It's the same menu. It's exactly the same offer. And your team are unable to deliver it because they're having to get closer because that means they're not maintaining social distancing. So look at what your resources and capabilities are. What can you deliver? And then let that define your guest experience, not the other way around. Uh, and and that, that, that's a, a long truth in safety. Yeah, that's not just COVID. That is always what are you capable of delivering? 
and then match that to, to your guest experience. Don't, mm. don't have it the other way around. And Kevin, final, final question on this area, back to you. You mentioned earlier about the great British weather and mm. if the rain comes down and everyone charges indoors, what sort of things could we, what do we need? What should we have in place to manage when footfall increases dramatically for whatever reason? So, so, so again, a lot of our, a lot of the Heineken pubs, we've, we've basically bought extra umbrellas, <laughs> massive, massive, big umbrellas. That's a good marketing tool as well. Um, and uh, and again, it's warm outside, so people would generally, as long as they're dry, they would stay outside. Um, you may have to be quite tough as well and just say, look, you, if you book your table outside and you want to sit outside, just be aware that we're full inside. And again, it's that communication. As long as we know what to expect, if I sit in the garden for a beer and I know that I can't come inside if it rains, then that's my decision to an extent. But if I'm not told that as a consumer and then I come in and I'm told, well, what do you mean I can't come in? Then that's when the, the argy-bargy can sometimes get a little bit too much. Um, but certainly, and certainly a lot, of, a lot of sites have put up marquees, that type of thing, just to, again, give that bit of cover. Um, or they've... The other approach some, some are taking, we'll book out the garden. If the weather looks a bit rubbish, we'll just book out the garden, but we won't fill the inside. Uh, it was just that we started this conversation, we started talking about risk assessments. Um, and it reminded me, is if you're making any major change to it or, or any significant change to your business, a market outside, altering the layout, mm. is, is don't forget the implications on your fire risk assessment. So if you are making changes to the property, if you're making, uh, as you say, putting marquees in the garden that may block uh, exit routes it, it is absolutely you must go back and review your fire risk assessment because it's, it's a significant change to the business now it's a good point rob because you can do something for covid world and forget the basics yeah, well, of the it, industry it, yeah absolutely you know there, there was a lot going on in safety before covid <laughs> go, go back to march and we were all talking about allergens yeah. um, and we were talking about what the changes in legislation yeah the risk from allergens is still there the risk from fire safety is still there and Rob, could we move on with you um, to talk sure. about test and trace? Uh, could you give us sort of your overview of the procedures around it and what my responsibilities are? Yeah, absolutely. What I'd say is um, I'm aware that this this uh, podcast will be going out uh, to various you know various places. So when we're talking test and trace, out of respect to our um, teams in Scotland and Wales and Ireland, we, we use the phrase test and trace, but at all times know that I'm recognising the devolved nations, but perhaps on laziness on my part, I'm just going to refer to it as test and trace and hopefully you'll, you'll forgive me. So test and trace is all about being able to provide that information to the NHS um, if there is a confirmed case of COVID. So what does it mean for the business? It's uh, maintaining team records and guest records. Um, so if uh, the NHS need to, to, to uh, trace, they can contact those people. For the business, that's knowing, making sure your team records are up to date. It seems obvious, but absolutely knowing who's on your books, uh, their contact details, their telephone numbers, their addresses. It's good housekeeping, but just to go back and check it. Um, and then for the consumer, from the guest, uh, it's when they're uh, joining the business that you've got, again, their, their contact details. The guidance says that can be the lead booker in a group, um, and they take responsibility, and, and you understand who else is in the, uh, has visited your business. Um, but it, it really, really is important. And the granularity of the detail, as with anything, you can go very high level detail. You can just talk about it's a name and a telephone number. But again, what we know is if something goes wrong, if, if we have to, if there's an investigation, 
you're then dealing with a very, very large group. If you can just uh, tweak it and say, which part of the business were they working? Yeah, who else was on that shift, for example, if it's a team member? If it's a guest, what table did they sit at? What part of the pub were they in? When did they join you? When did they leave? What this does, it takes what is a very broad window of investigation and narrows it right down. You know, the benefit then being is the impact on any business is significantly narrowed. So the absolute uh, minimum requirement or, or, or suggestion is you know, name and contact detail, be it telephone number or email. But there is this, you know, just a little bit more information can seriously reduce the impact on your business if there was um, an investigation. And on the customer side, Rob, how long do we need to keep this data for? And how do we demonstrate to customers that their data is secure, I guess? Yeah, so, so 21 days. Um, so that that's uh, that's what's required. Recognising the onset period and asymptomatic times of uh, of COVID nineteen, so requirement there is twenty one days, um, and then re you you can keep it longer, but you'd be hard pushed to say why you justified it under GDPR. Mm. When, when it comes to uh, um, communicating it to the guests, well, the first thing is tell them why you're doing it. You know, it's it's in pursuance of supporting the NHS. Um, it's because you are a responsible retailer that you're asking for that information. Um, but that's all well and good. Uh, you, you can tell them that's what you're doing. But if your actions are, are contradictory, then they'll soon lose faith. So I think it, it is being very clear. So if you are using a, a sign-in sheet, don't have 20 days worth of sign-in sheets underneath. Because it doesn't matter how much you're telling the guest, your data is really important to us and we respect it and lock it away. And then they go and sign in and see everyone that's been in your pub for the last three weeks. So whatever you do, whatever method you approach, um, it, it has to be born through because um, otherwise the consumer, as you'd expect, will just lose faith in it. So whatever you say you're doing, then you must back it up. And what if, what if you get a customer that just doesn't want to provide their details? Is that point blank? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, if you look at it, this is, a, this is a should, not a must. So when you go to the guidance, there's things that you should be doing. Uh, and there's things that you must be doing and the musts are enshrined in law you know that's absolutely a legal requirement um, the the need to maintain guest details is a should uh, and again the guidance is very clear is you um, you don't have to review refuse service so if they choose not to give you details that's not a reason to refuse service you may choose to as a business but again there is no expectation on you to do that um, so uh, what, what uh, is really important is if you keep your guest detail for other, any other reason. So for example, if you use your booking policy, uh, you know, you use your um, whatever booking system you have, be it online, be it a diary. If the guest has, has not given you their express permission to use that detail for um, NHS tracing, you must not provide it. So just to be clear, so if they provide their, their information because they're booking a table, but if they haven't given you permission to hold that data, for the tracing you're not allowed to hand it over because you don't have their permission right. so uh, a lot of businesses and forgive me if that sounds quite convoluted um, but it, it's uh, you can only pass it on to the nhs um, if you've had the express permission to do so from the consumer from the from your guest are there any tools that you recommend to help with this sort of process the uptake in technology has maybe accelerated us by 10 years an example of that is these check-in apps where you can scan the qr code it registers that that person has been in, in your business. Um, and yeah, there are different ones of those available. So absolutely, and any trip down the high street, you know, go and grab a coffee, pop into other hospitality businesses, you can see that they're being utilized. Um, but I, I've got a slight concern with that, and that's not to be critical of any one of those technologies. 
is if that's your sole dependent way of collecting guest data, look at your customer base. And it might be all right now because if the consumer is under 45, that's who's happy going out. But when uh, it, it eases and maybe uh, more elderly uh, starting to look to visit, um, are they still as com comfortable with that technology? Are they able to access it? And it was a conversation I was having with a colleague the other day. Is it's great now because you've got a fairly um, narrow demographic who, who might be visiting the businesses. As that expands, are you meeting their needs? Do they feel comfortable using that technology or are you excluding them? Yeah. yeah. It's, a valid, it's a valid point. We, we, we use, uh, um, in our business, and Heineken QR codes are used massively, but it's, it's still having that backup of a paper-based system for the different demographics that want to use. And some people are skeptical of QR codes, funny enough, because um, they think, we're, oh, what are we going to do with that information? Whereas the old, old you know, the, to write a name and number down, they're actually more happy to do sometimes. Um, so it is just having that flexibility in the business. Yeah, great. Um, thanks for all that information. Rob, just very specifically, um, a few things on if a member of staff or a customer does contract COVID-19, what do we have to do then? What's the procedure that we need to follow? I that's a big old question, <laughs> um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll do my best to, to break it down and Kev, you um, listen to mm. if there's anything obvious I've missed, that'd be fantastic. I think when you're looking at your um, your team member, your, your employee, there, there's many things that you need to be doing. Obviously, the first thing is to, that they shouldn't be coming to work. They must stay away from work um, and remind them of that. Now, there may be reasons why they really want to come back and, and they try to, but you say, no, it's you have the isolation period please respect it uh, and um, but understand some people will try and return and you have to make very clear for the good of the other workers and, and your guess that that uh, is not allowed to happen you've got to think about uh, their well-being so uh, again as a responsible employer is do they uh, have they got the social uh, and this isn't a must this is a, what a good employer should be doing is have they got the support that they need their support network so again we've supported many clients that have uh, shared accommodation, team live there on their own. So actually, if they're going into self-isolation for 14 days, very basic, can they eat? Have they got shopping? What's their mental health? What's their mental well-being like? So a good employer will be thinking about the wider context, not just the COVID-19 risks. Um, so uh, that's what you should be doing. Uh, the um, employer should be contacting the NHS, sorry, the employee contacting the NHS, making them aware they'll get the... Uh, test results and then the test and trace will, will kick in um, and then they will do the investigation uh, and again contact the employer um, if further information is required. It's just to point out and pick up on a point, point about test and trace kicking in um, and this is why zoning and social distancing is so important if you run your business properly you're less likely to be affected by test and trace. Test and trace will only contact you if you've been in close contact with that person. Great point. So if a, if a member of staff has got COVID-19, but they're working on the kitchen on their own, who else have they affected? They've not been with anyone else for close contact is within one to two meters of someone for more than 15 minutes. And um, under one meter, you've got to either be coughed on, sneezed at, or face-to-face -face contact. So that's if you've done your risk assessments properly, your zoning properly, your staff bubbles properly, it's highly unlikely you'll, you'll really be affected. Um, and same with customers. 
same process. If a customer comes in and says, I've, got, I've had COVID-19, then, and they've sat on it, and again, back to the point of knowing where they've sat, knowing where they've been. If they've sat there, it's gonna be their, their family that's affected, but not so much the pub. Because again, you've not had that close contact. It, it's a good point just to pick on Kev. Um, if uh, you're talking to your employee, it's reminding them when they are doing uh, their information is to say where they are em employed, where their place of work is, because it's not a mandatory mm -hmm. question. Um, and they're finding this is, is a problem. There's various um, tiers that goes through. So if it's identified that they work in a pub, restaurant, certain environment, it will go to the next tier of questioning. And I read a research paper yesterday that said uh, about 20% of um, those that are in the higher tier are not being contacted because they're not making their employment known. So it's just encouraging them and saying, look, when, when, when you're um, filling in your details, make sure that you put where your place of employment is because that will help it will get the next level tier of investigation to support to support the public you know this, this is a support yeah. um and and you can then be helped by uh, by the nhs and the, and the tracing system if a uh, a customer or a member of staff makes us aware that they've got covid19 what are our responsibilities are we obliged to call other customers and let them know the situation it's a great question and, and I know there is some confusion around this and we've seen with some of the early cases um, that was exactly what was happening um, but to make it clear it's not the responsibility of uh, the licensee to start contacting other customers it's not their responsibility to start contacting uh, employees well their responsibility is to uh, cooperate with uh, the test and trace um, for, for their area so that they're not expected to phone people up. This is absolutely the role of those testers and, and tracers. What the employee should be doing, what the should, business should be doing is making sure that they've got that information uh, to hand and anticipate the questions. So, uh, and we, we've supported clients with this, we've supported businesses. So we're saying, right, okay, make sure you've got your shift patterns, make sure you've got your rotors there, you know where the team are working, make sure you've got your guest details available. So when that call does happen, when you're asked for the information, it's present, presented quickly and it's succinctly. Um, so that's the responsibility is make sure you're collecting that data and then you've got it ready to present for those who, that will make the phone calls. So absolutely no requirement on the, uh, the licensee to start phoning, phoning around. That's, that's not what's expected. That data is collected for the NHS. Yeah. Uh, Rob, with regards to if the worst happens, if, if a customer or a, a member of staff does contract COVID-19, what, what is the situation with the venue? Is it, is, is it a set process or does it depend on the details? It, absolutely, it depends on the details and the information Kev was there saying about the bubbles, that'll give you an idea of um, how far, you know, uh, the, how big the risk is. Something that you must do, again, as a, an employer, if there's two cases of COVID linked to your premises, then you must report that. So to your local uh, public health team or Public Health England, because two cases of COVID in an establishment is considered as an outbreak. So there is a duty there to say, look, I'm reporting because they may not have joined up the dots yet. You've got to help them join up the dots. And there, there is that obligation. Report that uh, there's been more than two cases. And then they will work with the operator to decide what the next steps are. What, what do you need to do? What are reasonable controls? How well has that business risk been managed up until that point? Uh, and again, in that situation, um, when making that contact, is to say who the lead person will be in the business because they need 
someone um, within the within the uh, business that they can coordinate with to be the, the the voice. If that makes sense, that one point of contact. So absolutely requirement to report if you've got had two cases and identify who the lead person would be in the in the uh, business unit. Great. I'll give Rob a break, Kevin. <laughs> I'm going to have a I'm going to have a quick swig yeah, of tea. That's all right. <laughs> Kevin, on that, so if if the premise, if we have had a case or a situation, mm -hmm. what what do we need to consider then in terms of, I guess, the cleaning and the reopening and making it safe? Yeah. So it's again, it's a case by case basis. So to have a customer come in and say, I was in here four days ago with COVID, um, it's and 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 you've not got that evidence, I would still do a clean, but I wouldn't worry about doing a deep deep clean. Because if you remember, the virus only lasts for three days, 72 hours. So if it's after 72 hours, you do your own little risk assessment. And if no one else has been affected, no one else has got symptoms, no one else has come to you, I, my view is I think you, you, you report, you, you log it, as a, there's an incident, and you, you carry on. Less than 72 hours, then I, I would personally start doing a, um, thinking about, not necessarily a deep clean, but a good clean. Um, so again, think about where that staff member's been, think about where the customer's been, and really sanitise those those areas. Um, don't be afraid to shut the pub for a few hours to allow you to do that. That that's you know we're not saying, and again it's it's a, it's a shame for the pubs initially that were shut down. I think they shut down. Um, careful, I'll say this: shut down through <laughs> panic or ITV news sitting on your doorstep. Um, but it's not it's not a uh, that's not a requirement. It's a case by case basis, and but it's and again, it's having the correct chemicals as well and the correct cleaning regime in place. So again, I've, I I will refer to my notes a little bit because I've got I'm going to refer to something. It's two chem two two en numbers your chemicals should have. So I think it'd be quite important to just check on. So the bacteria is en one two seven six. So your sanitizer spray should have that. The virus en one four four seven six. So if your cleaning chemicals cover both those EN numbers, you're not going to go far wrong. And if we are closing or cleaning or there's been an issue, Kevin, anything we need to be doing? I would be clear about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then um, say what and reinforce the procedure you've got in place. So again, we've had a case. This is what we've done about it. This is what we've uh, cleaned. And this is how we're going to keep you safe in the future. And just to, to pick up on the, um, there's there's a lot of interest around COVID-19 and PPE and you know, people mm. always reach for the, the face mask or whatever. And we know that PPE is fairly ineffective or it's the, the lowest of the hierarchy of controls. There's a lot more we can do beforehand. But with regards to COVID-19 there, this is one situation where they specify the PPE that should be worn. So if you're cleaning down after a known case of COVID-19 in a non-care setting, so that would very much be a pub restaurant, it says, you know, the team as, as a minimum should have a pair of gloves on, they should have a disposable apron. Um, and then any disposable of that PPE afterwards is bagged and left for 72 hours. So as I say, the guidance normally in Kev, you'd agree, is, is PPEs right down the, the list, isn't mm -hmm. it? It's the last thing yeah, that we get to. Um, but this cleaning in the case of a confirmed uh, covid incident that that's where it does say you must provide that ppe and then what to do with it um once you've done the cleaning okay thanks both lots of really good information there um 
Rob, if we could just move on to the sort of final piece, the managing difficult conversations. Um, and I guess start with the staff. What, what yeah. should we do if our staff aren't respecting the procedures, policies, social distancing? I think, well, I know that we, we see COVID-19 as something different, and it's not. But you, you have staff that have followed instructions brilliantly in the past, and also we've all managed staff that have completely failed to follow an instruction. So I'd go back and say, well, what would you have done previously? Mm -hmm. So you got a team member, and, and it doesn't need to be for safety, but if a team member's failed to follow an instruction, what do you do? And I think about my experience of that is, first of all, I'd be questioning, do they know why they've got to follow it? So let's reflect, have I explained the significance of these controls? Why is it important to us as a business? Why is it important to them? Why is it important to the guests? So I'd be asking that question myself first. And if I haven't, then let's have that conversation with the team member. Let's explain the why. Uh, and then once we've got the why covered, let's talk about the how. So I've told you why it's important. Now I'm going to tell you how you're going to do it and what's expected of you. Again, a bit of self-reflection. Have I trained the team? Have I got the records? Have they seen the contents of the risk assessment? And then I think if you can satisfy those questions with yourself, then it's the question with that team member. And you, you start saying, look, this is why it's important. I'm going to go through the steps and be very clear. This is an instruction. This is how you're expected to, to operate when in the business. If you fail to do so, then you go down your disciplinary route, obviously following ACAS, following whatever your internal procedures are. But um, I think is there's a danger of going over the top with this and going in and saying straight away, well, it's gross misconduct. You know, this was impacting the safety of others. Or there's the other side where people go, it's not that important. I think you view it as any other safety control and then your response reflects how you'd responded to safety previously. And what about with customers? Uh, and it's, it's a very similar answer is, again, you know, I talked about my time in operations, timer out there running businesses. Guess what? Customers guess they sometimes want to do their own thing and not follow the rules of the house. And again, licensees, publicans, are used to that they're adept to do doing that so call upon what what you would have done normally you know if you had someone walking into the pub smoking now what would you do mm -hmm. yeah you you deal with it you, you would say hang on a minute not not in my not in my place this isn't acceptable please you know please step outside so i think whatever your approach is reflect it because that is it's it's what you know it's what your team know it's probably what your guests know because they know how they've got to stay in line so whatever your approach was previously make sure you follow it how far do you take it because if there are things where you know like multiple household households gathering at your pub are you obliged to sort that out are you obliged to get involved in that sort of thing it, I, I would go back to about the licensing objectives you know one of your licensing objectives is protection of public safety you know again we've forgotten about that we, we've talked about covid controls but there's this basic licensing one of the full licensing requirements Again, as you as a licensee, can you demonstrate that you've fulfilled that, that requirement of the, uh, the Licensing Act? So, so what I'd say is, in those instances, have you taken reasonable steps to ask them to um, not mingle? You know, you've got the ultimate, which is refusal of service. Actually, these are the house rules. You're not following them. I, I can refuse you service. Remember, access to a public house isn't a right, it's a privilege. So you can say to them at any point, please, you know, you're, you're not following our rules. And what I would do is, Again, as an enforcing officer, I want to see evidence because guess what? It's going to go wrong. Yeah, you, your pub will not be absolutely perfect all of the time. Things happen. That's the reality. But what you'd want to see as an enforcing officer is, okay, when did it go wrong? What was your response? And have you recorded that? So we, we're quite used to seeing instant logs for, 
underage sales, for, you know, um, drunk and disorderly, what it may be, is record it in your instant log. This is what happened. This was the action I took. And then when the officer visits, you can go, here it is, complete openness. This is what we've been dealing with. If a customer becomes uh, aggressive or doesn't agree with what we're trying to enforce, how can we sort of physically remove them or physically, you know, control them while still adhering to social distancing? It, it's very difficult and um, the, the safety of the team, if, if the team is stepping in to do it and if not the licensees, is absolutely paramount here. So I would never say that they've got to put their safety and we wouldn't have expected that beforehand. We, you wouldn't want them to step into a situation that puts their personal safety at, at risk. So I think, what, again, go through the stages that um, conflict re uh, reduction, so try and calm the situation down. Again, my experience is licensees are great at this. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very good. Why? Because they've been doing it for years. Um, and that's just the reality of a Friday or a Saturday night. So they've, they've sharpened that tool. But if it does get to the point where they're feeling threatened, their safety is being threatened, that other guests, then you have to, you know, it's a call the police moment because you're, you're dealing with someone who is effectively a trespassing or breach of the peace at that point. Um, so, and again, the response that we're seeing is police will support with this. You know, they, they, they want responsible licensees, they want responsible retailing. So if the members of the public aren't coordinating, they are, you know, they're quick to respond and to, and to support. And Kevin, just your thoughts on this whole, I know it's a massive area I'm throwing back, yeah. managing difficult conversations. I think, I think for me, again, the key point for me is the information you get at the front door when they walk in and setting that stall out straight away of this is what we expect in this pub. You set those standards straight away, then you're on to sort of a winner. Um, and again, going back to two, two or three households mixing the six people outside, you can only work on the information you have, but you have to work on the information. Yeah, you have to ask the right questions. So don't be afraid to ask, are you two households? Yes, we are, right, <laughs> you can have that table there and you're a meter apart. Are you six different people? Yeah, right, you're outside. Now, if they choose to intermingle, again, as Rob's already highlighted, operators and landlords are great at the, the, commun the, the communication skills. So I would do it with a bit of banter, bit of a bit of, you know, make a bit of a, a joke about it first and say, come on, guys, we've got to get this right. Um, and then you go down the, the, the bit, bit heavier route if you have to. Um, but yeah, it's a case-by-case -case basis, unfortunately. There's no right or wrong answer. Great. Well, thank you both. There's an awful lot of information in, in there um, and all of it really useful. I know I've learned a lot, so hopefully everybody watching has too. So thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Rob. Thanks both for your time. Thanks, John. Absolute pleasure.